You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. There's this rule that if you see a product and you think, who the hell would want that? It's probably been intended for disabled people and is designed for accessibility. But the reason perhaps that its style over substance confuses us is because as a society, we have collectively alienated and erased the needs of disabled folk to the extent that it's unrecognisable to us. This is especially the case in the sustainability movement, where disabled folk, one in five Australians, are erased or vilified for their participation in the doctrines of everyday sustainable action. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Idwin Jeffrey. And this week, we're looking critically at the sustainability movement through the lens or perspective of disabled folk. Sustainability in the current political sense is couched in individual responsibility and market solutions. One day, the private market will invent a new thing and save the climate, providing, of course, that you at home recycle. But what about those for whom recycling is challenging due to mobility or neurodivergency or inaccessibility issues? This is how narrow sustainable visions exclude and vilify those with different levels of ability and access. And this discrimination is coined under the term eco-ableism. The assumed belief that the environmental movement is accessible to everyone, when in reality, it's not. A great example of this is plastic straws, right? Everyone has heard the debate around the plastic straw ban. Ban plastic straws, they're clogging up our oceans and killing wildlife. But the debate ignores those who need plastic straws to drink and access liquids. It also takes what is actually a small issue and blows it out of proportion. Eight million tonnes of plastic flows into the ocean every year, but straws compromise about 0.025% of that, according to the National Geographic. Meanwhile, disabled people are stuck with straw variants, such as metal or wood, and these don't necessarily come up to scratch. But the disabled community face this social pressure of either conforming to the plastic ban and using these variants, carrying them with them, or receiving condemnation from the sustainability community for using what is seen as now an out-of-fashion item. And it's not like solutions aren't out there. A 2019 study showed that an opt-in system with plastic straws would allow outlets and events to cater and support disabled folk without providing the amounts of plastic waste that received the condemnation in the first place. One of the quotes I especially liked from that report was this one, that disabled people are not only overlooked, but they are othered for being poor or disabled or both. To get into the subject, we're going to be speaking with Simon Darcy, a professor of social inclusion at the University of Technology, Sydney, and co-director of the UTS Disability Research Network, talking about where sustainability models need to go to be inclusive. This conversation is split into two parts. The first part will be exploring what is eco-ableism and also what is an inclusive approach, what does that look like? And then the second part of today's episode, we'll dig into maybe some real-life examples, 
and where Australia is currently in terms of progress on this issue. Simon, we've chatted a lot in this episode about plastic straw bans, and last year you actually released a paper on this topic uh, in response to the UN Sustainable Development Goal number 14, which encourages to conserve the sustainability of ocean life. Um, and you concluded that uh, that we needed a collaborative, interdisciplinary, person-centred, inclusive, innovational approach. Can you tell us a bit about this paper and what this big new approach would look like in practice? Yeah, well, the, the other sustainable development goal that we focused on in that paper was good health and well-being. So um, when you look at the sustainable development goals, uh, you don't want to look at sustainable development goals necessarily in isolation because everything has uh, everything that's done in a social sense has both intended and unintended consequences. So uh, in, uh, the, what, what drew us to the paper is that we're, a, um, we're part of a group uh, at the University of Technology Sydney called the UTS Disability uh, Research uh, Network. And so we're a cross-disciplinary, whole-of-university group that looks at wicked problems to do with all sorts of things. Um, and we come from it from, sure, a health perspective, a business perspective, a design perspective, and try and understand what the problem is and come up with co-design transformative solutions. And what we mean by that in a disability sense is before a decision like this is made where there would be foreseeable uh, uh, impacts on one group in society, then rather than uh, discussing it afterwards, it would be really uh, a much better approach to include that group uh, within the discussion and to uh, already move down the path of saying, okay, well, if this is going to be a, an action that's taken for the betterment of all sea life, and who can argue against that, mm then we also need to have a transformative solution on developing products uh, and services beforehand that uh, are still going to serve the needs of a group of people who um, are in a circumstance that uh, any of us could end up in at any stage, and that's the uh, disability club. So we start from that premise. In another paper, you positioned the question, are we speaking the same language, sort of discussing this like this co-design process? And I was curious, what do you see as the barriers to uh, d- communication between disabled folk who get it and know it and non-disabled folk who are not thinking about these things? We're talking about, in this case, a form of eco-ableism or um, you know, effectively a shallow environmentalism that looks for um, certain changes but not looking at the core of the problem, which in this case is all types of plastics. Well, you've had a win with 
drawers, but, you know, nobody's given up the lids on their cappuccinos in the morning. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, uh, it's preferencing a group over another group uh, within, uh, you know, what should be a much better plan for scenario around, um, the, you know, around uh, the environment. And in, um, in this case, people either um, omit people with disability, they either, uh, or they don't see them, or you, you find a lot that uh, people are what, people with disability are what called, uh, are othered, and that's in uh, inverted commas, where um, they're seen to be, uh, you know, a burden on society. You'll see this all the time in the paper around the welfare system and Certainly on aspects of the NDIS where they only ever talk about cost, they don't talk about the benefits that are coming out of the NDIS for the individuals but also as society as a whole and uh, what that you know, investment in society means to the potential of people with disability to, more, uh, to live more full and engaged lives. And again, one of the key tenets of, around NDIS is choice and control, so people with disability are making decisions, but a really important uh, other component right from the beginning when the Productivity Commission report was done was co-designing with people with disability. So what you find a lot of the time is decisions are being made without even consulting or discussing with the group that the decisions are being made for. And you know, that's a terrible form of paternalism that uh, disempowers uh, individuals and puts them into a state of uh, you know, learned helplessness. When you talk about shallow environmentalism and eco-ableism, just that sort of moral panic that we see in a lot of sustainable movements such as you know something like veganism or zero waste and we see a lot of activists in the sustainability movement really um creating yeah this this sort of moral crusade around it that can be very damaging to people with disabilities you know it's exclusionary and it's vilifying can can i get your thoughts on that and what that's sort of like for the community yeah well look i've I've and, and this, these are very, uh, you know, very um, systems-changing thoughts around what is uh, shallow environmentalism as opposed to deep ecology. I mean, you know, having winds around, packaging, etc., is terrific and it makes a difference. But from a deep ecology perspective, it's really a challenge of uh, the way that our society is organised, particularly around uh, growth mentality, etc., and and that requires a really um, you know a, a massive change to the way that we do everything. Now, um, you know some some uh, of the new movements uh, are, are you know saying that the clock's ticking; it's getting closer to midnight, and unless we make substantial changes to the way that we treat the environment that the earth won't be able to uh, won't be able to be sustained in the way that it currently is, and so that that's that's a really uh, serious issue for capitalism to deal with, um, and do so within uh, changing business and government practices. And of course, 
We've also seen this around um, the energy crisis and climate change movement. So, you know, from a, there's certainly a lot being done at the shallow end of the environmental uh, debate, and that is making some of these changes, uh, such as straws, as plastic, such as packaging, within themselves are very important wins. But what a great deal of the environmental movement, and certainly around issues that we're seeing with climate change, is that it's actually asking us to rethink the whole way that we do um, everything within society. Um, and so even, even things like, you know, environmental activists flying around the world uh, probably is a, you know, is a fairly expansive carbon footprint. Uh, but, uh, you know, not, there's not many of us that will actually make uh, substantial changes to the way that we work and operate. So, for example, uh, preferring to use Zoom than travel overseas and meet people. Uh, when travel itself can be quite liberating for the individual, is uh, is something that's going to challenge many people to move from talking to acting in a way that will bring about long-term sustainable change. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. That was Professor Simon Darcy speaking on eco-ableism, shallow environmentalism and what an inclusive design looks like. And the answer is person-centred, bringing those living with disabilities into the forefront of the conversation from initial design to end execution. We're going to jump into part two of our conversation, looking at some real-life examples and then you know, discussing where Australia is at before wrapping out today's show. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Idwin Jeffrey. I wanted to talk about also the complexities then of the actual inclusive design process. And there's a couple of things here. I mean, we've got, for example, designing for intersecting or clashing needs of different people. Um, and also the need to create flexible, adaptable systems. Um, so these are quite big challenges from a design, large-scale focus. Uh, well, they, what well, they certainly those? are. Um, but, you know, one of those places where um, these changes have been evolving and uh, in, in many ways um, have been at the forefront of uh, understanding uh, you know, these um, uh, multiple perspectives um, is in, you know, un- university uh, education, which has had to adapt to all sorts of things over the past uh, three years, of course, with um, COVID and everything going online. And in fact, there's been many changes made very quickly that a lot of people have been asking for for a long time. Mm. So, for example, um, you know, people that have to commute to get to work um, have a uh, lost opportunity uh, with that time for other things. 
Now, in a, in a disability sense, uh, transport is one of the major challenges that some groups that don't drive, so for example, somebody with a high level physical disability, uh, like myself, I used to have my license, I don't have it uh, anymore because of an issue with my uh, left arm that uh, became accentuated. But there's other people, people with certain sorts of cognitive disabilities, others with uh, that aren't, uh, that have, uh, who are blind or have vision impairment. And then you've got a transport system and needing to travel somewhere, and if you've got to do that by public transport, is the public transport accessible to the level that you need that access? Mm. And if you can't be transported somewhere, then uh, you might have much bigger problems with employment and other things. So we, we found a transition uh, through um, COVID to uh, being able to work from home just all of a sudden became a lot easier. Mm. We saw that health went online. And this has empowered a lot of people with uh, disability to take these changes and make them work for themselves in the way that they're, uh, they, they need to accommodate uh, and more inclusive. So we, um, you know, most people now are quite used to when there's big public address that somebody is signing for those people who are uh, capital D deaf or uh, hearing impaired or there's live captioning uh, mm. going on or there's audio description for people who are blind. So being inclusive uh, requires also a much more complex understanding of the simple phrase, people with disability, mm -hmm. because we're not an homogenous group. We're uh, a group with diverse needs, and of course, that becomes complex for um, business and society and the institutions of government to deal with. And so at times we see um, a breakdown in a, a way to be both accessible, and I use accessible, uh, and inclusive in the same language. And so uh, physical accessibility, uh, and then there's also the uh, accessibility around information and communication technology like, you know, we're using a telephone today. We could have been using Zoom. Mm -hmm. There are all sorts of ICT. There's also um, so much information in the World Wide Web or the, uh, the uh, Internet of Everything. Yet, that same system needs to be um, on the web, needs to be designed in a way that's inclusive for people who are blind or hearing impaired through tools like JAWS software that reads out what's on the screen. But if it's not designed in a way that allows the software to uh, interpret what's on the page and turn that into text, then people who are blind or vision impaired aren't able to access that wonderful resource of information. In that side of idea of um, flexible, adaptable, it's sort of making sure absolutely everything is accessible via multiple, sort of multiple different tools and, and yeah. thought processes. Hmm. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, particularly in that um, information and communication space. Okay. So, you know, we've, um, we've mentioned uh, uh, deaf and hearing impaired, we've mentioned blind and vision impaired, 
we've mentioned different types of people with um, mobility disability. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are other, uh, other forms of invisible disability, whether that be um, uh, people with uh, mental health, whether it be people that are on uh, the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. uh, whether, whether it's people that have got certain sensitivities and might be uh, have an anaphylactic reaction. So uh, understanding uh, the complexity of approximately 18% of the Australian population and being inclusive of that group uh, provides one more uh, one uh, a, a more powerful market argument, but also it's um, protected through both international conventions like the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, and of course we've already been speaking about the Sustainable Development Goals that are also part of the UN, and that um, disability interacts with a whole variety of those Sustainable Development Goals not only life below water that we've been talking about earlier on, um, or good health and well-being. And so switching gears for a moment here, because a lot of this episode has been sort of exploring this, um, yeah, barriers, challenges, these sorts of things. I wanted to ask, like, what, opportunities do you see for innovation in sustainability and disability? Um, are there projects that you're excited by or countries that we can learn from? Oh, look, um, I, I think one of the great uh, advances that we've made over the past uh, 20 years is um, we're all learning from each other from all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that uh, you know, there's a forum for almost everything. And I'll I'll just give some examples that I think are quite exciting coming from uh, some work that we did um, around uh, entrepreneurs with disability. Mm-hmm. So people with disability developing solutions, uh, sometimes to their own uh, issues and problems, but uh, more often than not just to standard business solutions. But the reason why um, a, lot of entre- a lot of people with disability became self-employed or entrepreneurs because they weren't having terribly um, good experiences in mainstream employment. Uh, Now, it seems crazy that um, uh, at a time even of low employment, we're not seeing an uptake of the tremendous human potential that exists uh, with people with disability. So when coming back to designing transformative solutions, uh, we've seen uh, some terrific advances in... 3D printing and 3D um, design work. So where uh, I'm sitting here actually in front of uh, a splint I used to type with that we were able to do uh, a scan of and have now printed out as many times as I want um, at an incredibly low cost. So the the combination of uh, assistive tech and smart people thinking about solutions to um, everyday problems, uh, there's literally um, uh, transformative solutions being developed all over the place in a variety of accelerator programs, Um, and two of them that come to mind in the disability space, um, Igniteability, uh, which is uh, Sydney-based, and the other one, Remarkable, also Sydney-based, but focusing on 
disability uh, tech solution, which may or may not have people with disability working the, um, uh, in the company, whereas Ignitability focuses on individuals with disability wanting to start their own businesses. And um, so you know, you've got this fertile ground and with Remarkable now having gone international um, with global solutions being developed uh, to problems all around the world at the moment. And we've seen this, whether it be um, in, the, you know, in the health space, in the environmental space, that terrific design that we saw uh, to clean up uh, harbours around the world mm -hmm. that was done by an Australian, I've just forgotten his name at the moment, and uh, they literally have these uh, floating bins that just suck the plastics into them as they skim around the waterways. Very exciting. I know I'm um, definitely... Electrical vehicles and making those sort of accessible or is on my is on my thing. But yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of solutions out there or, or growing solutions. Do you think Australia's like what would you say Australia's doing quite well in in that way? Oh, look, I, I think um, uh, Australia has certainly done some really good work around um, international standards in this space. Mm -hmm. uh, so our Australian standard uh, AS fourteen twenty eight parts one to six uh, are on access and mobility um, have been adopted in uh, different, part, uh, different parts of the world. Um, and that provides a really clear understanding about what's required uh, within new, uh, new buildings and new environments um, and, see, and, and does so from uh, mobility, vision, hearing, uh, perspectives and, and make sure that whatever the new building is, that it's appropriate, effective and efficient for the most people possible through uh, setting the, the, the building and construction, understanding of access, inclusion and universal design principles. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. We've heard today from Professor Simon Darcy, co-director at the UTS Disability Research Network, talking about inclusive sustainable design. You can find out more about Simon on his academic profile on the UTS uh, website, and I will also include his papers in today's rundown. We also were going to have an interview with Nadia Matiazzo from Women's Disabilities with Victoria, but unfortunately did not have enough time in today's episode. I'm sure this will be a future episode, but if you want to hear this wonderful interview, you can also tune in to 3CR Breakfast this week, where we will be playing it back. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in broadcasting today's episode and the Community Broadcasting Foundation in their generous financial support. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Melbourne, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. That's all for now, but tune in next week for more environment and social justice stories. Thank you.